Hello, I'm Lee Gatiss and I'm the Director of Church Society. This week in our series of videos during Lent, we have not one, not two, but three bishops for you. I've asked bishops from different parts of the Anglican world to say a few words about episcopacy itself, church government by bishops, and how that works in their part of the world. First up then, Bishop Rod Thomas from the Church of England. Rod is the Bishop of Maidstone with a national brief to oversee and care for churches who for reasons of theological conviction are unable to accept the oversight of a woman as their bishop. Before that, Rod was a parish minister in the southwest of England for many years. He is also currently the Honorary President of Church Society. So, over to you, Mr President. In the Church of England service for the ordination and consecration of bishops, those who are being ordained and consecrated are told that there are to be five aspects to their ministries. First, they are to be pastors shepherds of Christ's flock. Secondly, they are to be guardians of the faith of the apostles. Thirdly, proclaimers of the gospel. Fourth, leaders in mission. And fifth, they are to gather together the people of God. Now, to some extent, all the people of God are involved one way or another with all of those things. But Bishops in particular are to be leaders in each of those. So in this review of Anglican Episcopacy in England today, I'm going to look at what has been happening in the last two or three years in each of those areas. First then, pastoral care. Well, the blindingly obvious is that during the last two or three years, the pandemic has presented us all with enormous problems and in common with many others, it's left clergy very tired. One of the wonderful things that, that has happened is that uh, bishops have been in much more frequent contact with their clergy to encourage and care for them during the pandemic. And this has been enormously valued by clergy. In addition, um, within parishes, uh, sometimes where there have been pastoral problems, those problems have intensified during the pandemic as normal human social interaction has diminished. And bishops have worked hard to help parishes resolve those problems and have encouraged people to bear with one another in love, as Ephesians 4 tells us to do. So for the last two or three years, there is no doubt that bishops have taken this aspect of their ministries uh, pretty very seriously. Now secondly, guardians of the faith of the apostles. Well this is a, 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 a complex uh, subject to explore um, uh, and, and in some ways you could say very clearly that bishops are working hard on this. They will always work hard on the appointments processes um, and of course those who get appointed are themselves teachers of God's people. 
bishops reflect theologically um, on the life of their dioceses and they value theological depth in the discussions in the House of Bishops and in the College of Bishops. But I suppose where they have been criticised in the last couple of years, at least in some quarters and on some occasions, um, has been because uh, of the contrast between uh, some boldness in speaking on political and social issues, but uh, a certain tentativeness or hesitancy when it comes to drawing conclusions from the Apostles' teaching uh, in Scripture. Um, and I suppose that's exemplified nowhere better than in the living in love and faith resources that the church is currently discussing. Now, those resources engage with the issues of sexuality, of sexual relationships and gender. Um, and these uh, are, of course, areas in which we should be engaged and in which bishops themselves should be very firmly engaged since they are so uh, important uh, to present day culture. Um, I think personally that the LLF resources are very enlightening uh, and very educational. But uh, in their treatment of scripture, uh, and they do indeed um, explore scriptural teaching, um, the conclusions that are drawn are left very open uh, for discussion. And that is because bishops believe that uh, there needs to be a period of discernment so that the church can hear what God is saying to them. Now, uh, it is perfectly true that we all need to discern how to apply scripture to uh, our ever-changing cultures and environments. But nevertheless, the fact is that when we do come to scripture, we do hear God's voice in scripture. Um, and when we hear it clearly, um, one of our responsibilities is to pass that on clearly. Um, and this, I think, is an area that is, uh, uh, has, has caused some difficulty and continues to cause difficulty worldwide, not just in the Church of England. Now, thirdly, uh, bishops are called to be proclaimers of the gospel. One of the wonderful developments of the last decade has been uh, the um, beginning of diocesan missions led by bishops themselves. Um, and these have galvanised thousands of people in dioceses and resulted in some wonderful gospel events. Six years ago, a bishop for church planting was appointed. And as a result of his work amongst dioceses and bishops, the Church of England now has the ambition of creating 10,000 new church plants or church revitalizations by 2030. And since local churches are the key to the evangelization of their areas, uh, these are wonderful developments. The task of proclaiming the gospel within an ever-changing culture is, of course, enormous. Um, and uh, that's why it's also very good to see the emergence of a new Centre for Cultural Witness at Lambeth Palace, led by Bishop Graham Tomlin. Um, but uh, against these developments, there is, there is, I suppose, a question mark um, about how far bishops share the same understanding of the gospel, and in particular, how far the doctrine of penal substitution, which you find throughout the pages of the old prayer book, how far uh, that lies at the heart of current understandings of the gospel. 
Um, there's also the whole question of how much time bishops have to devote to these things, because they are phenomenally busy in their dioceses. I don't know any bishop that isn't extremely busy. And if uh, a bishop is a member of the House of Lords, well, then uh, it's even more stretching for them. And yet, despite all of these things, the fact is that uh, if the gospel is the means by which uh, people's eternal salvation will be secured, then it needs to have the highest priority. Now, fourthly, bishops are leaders in mission. Well, there is widespread commitment to the five marks of mission, which are, as you may recall, uh, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, uh, to teach, baptise and nurture new believers, to respond to human need by loving service, to seek to transform unjust structures of society and to challenge violence of every kind and pursue peace and reconciliation. And then finally, to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. Well, time doesn't allow me to talk about how each of these are being pursued in England today. Uh, and there are continuing initiatives from bishops in all of these areas. But to take just two as examples, uh, as part of the reform and renewal programme, which has gone on over several years within the Church of England, most dioceses have started wonderful, fresh initiatives in the discipling of existing congregations. And in the whole area of uh, tackling unjust structures of society, um, the Church of England has recently published an, a really influential report from its housing commission. The question that remains for us all as bishops is to what extent these various different things uh, amount to leadership in mission. When I think of that phrase, I imagine leaders galvanising others in a common vision and commitment to its pursuit. And there are, of course, individual leaders who have this effect. But the numbers attending our churches tell their own story. And so I believe that this is an area of ministry that still remains for many of us a, a, an aspiration. Finally, bishops are called to gather together the people of God. Well, during the pandemic, there has been some criticism of bishops advocating the closure of churches to prevent the sort of gatherings that might transmit the COVID virus. Um, I personally think that much of the criticism has been misplaced because we've all faced extremely difficult decisions in how to respond to the challenges confronting us uh, and the challenges too of developing online ministry. Um, so I wouldn't want to share in that criticism, but the fact is, of course, that bishops now have the extraordinary challenge of, of helping people gather back together again now that most restrictions have eased. Um, and although many have returned to churches, there still remain some who stay online because they fear for their safety. Well, uh, particularly as diocesan bishops are the ordinaries, that is, they're responsible for the ordering of the life of God's people in the Church of England, I know that this uh, is uh, uh, um, a really important area uh, for them to address, not least because of the injunction in Hebrews 10, verse 25, that we are not to neglect to meet together 
as is the habit of some, but rather we're to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. We look forward to that time. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thanks so much to Bishop Rod, who is retiring later this year after seven years as a bishop in the Church of England. Let's pray for the process of finding his successor. Next up is Bishop Stephen Fagbemi. Stephen is the Bishop of Owu in Nigeria, having previously been a parish minister, a chaplain, Dean of Archbishop Vining College of Theology and General Secretary of the Church of Nigeria. He's also a global consultant for the Church Society Theology Journal, The Global Anglican. He's going to give us a Nigerian perspective on Episcopacy today. I appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts here today as I reflect on what I do as an Anglican Bishop in Nigeria. This can only be an aspect of the Episcopal ministry in Nigeria and in Africa as a whole. I am mindful that much of what I would say reflects on my own personal perspective and experience. But undoubtedly, many bishops will agree with me in this reflection of the Episcopal ministry in Africa today, especially here in Nigeria. So let me appreciate very much our brother, Dr. Lee Gettis, for giving me this opportunity, which further gives me the privilege of sharing with a big African family, Anglican family. And I trust this will also help brothers and sisters across the world to know what we're doing and indeed to hold us in their prayers through this season and beyond. Now, in its ordinal at the Constitution of Bishops, the Church of Nigeria declares that a bishop in the church is called to be one with the apostles, to proclaim Christ's resurrection and interpret the gospel to guard the faith, unity and discipline of the church, to be in all things a faithful pastor and wholesome example to the entire flock of Christ and to share in the leadership of the church throughout the world. Now, while this may not be exhaustive, they do encapsulate much of what we do from day to day. The Episcopal ministry is broad, ranging from being a church leader to a community leader, to being a pastor and preacher, a teacher and a political voice, an evangelist as well as an administrator. Now, let me just expand very briefly on some of these points. As one with the apostles. Now, it's not difficult to see from the entire New Testament that the apostles move from place to place for the cause of the gospel. And one thinks very clearly about Philip, who had that opportunity of sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. One major feature in our episcopacy today is the volume of traveling within the diocese and nationally, either to attend national meetings, attend to national working committees, respond to invitation to preach or teach, or to be at one conference or the other. 
Now, visiting the churches within the diocese, visiting towns and villages involve even quite a lot of traveling. Whatever the reason, traveling is a major part of the Episcopal ministry in present-day Africa. This is not only costly, but it's also full of risks, especially where the roads are not good, where traffic is unpredictable, or where there may be danger of attacks or highway robbery. It is very demanding, and we can only trust in divine protection and safety. Kidnapping for ransom, and by Fulani's men, has in fact become a major problem in what used to be a very peaceful and southern part of Nigeria in recent times. Yet movement or traveling, we must do. The second thing is to talk about proclaiming Christ's resurrection. The opportunities to preach Christ and lead in the study of the world are always there for us every week as we go from church to church. These opportunities are not limited to the diocese. We get invitation to speak and preach at different places and dioceses outside our own. We attend synods of dioceses where we are invited to lead Bible study on the synod theme, which take about three days at which we interact with the bishop, clergy, and laity of that particular diocese on the word of God. While sharing with them, we have found it to be mutually beneficial and spiritually rewarding. Bishops impact on the people, but we also learn from them what God is doing in their lives. It gets very exciting to discern that we are not at the end of the journey, yet to see that God is preparing his church and people for a glorious church. Now, interpretation of the gospel. Now, the content of our message is very important. We live in the context where there are many religious and non-Christian beliefs. Here in Nigeria, we have both the African traditional religion, Islam, and other forms of religion in this context. So our message must be clear enough about the uniqueness of Christ as the suffering Christ, who not only died for our sins, but also resurrected. And this is not an experience that we have in any other religion. It is found in Christ alone. So this gives us enormous hope about the power of Christ to save from sin and death and to give victory over the challenges of the present time. And this is very important because our world is full of challenges ranging from poverty to sickness of various types. It is important that the word that we speak, the word of God, is allowed to speak to them in the power of the resurrection. The various problems encountered in Africa today, which receive no help or attention from government because there is no welfare system or the National Health Service, means that the gospel can only be used to exploit the people. Many people are deceived. Therefore, it is important for us as bishops that we interpret the gospel rightly 
and not deny its power, but caution against its abuse. Furthermore, our preaching is to call believers to live a life of resurrection, no longer in darkness, but in the light of Christ. Surely, this calls for accurate interpretation of the gospel in the present context for the people. And because of the rise of Pentecostalism in our context, and especially that of prosperity gospel among Christians in present-day Nigeria and in much of Africa, there is a lot of misunderstanding of the gospel. And while many are running after success and wealth, believers are not making any spiritual or moral impact in the society. And this is an issue that we have to confront in our preaching in different places. Much more, we are troubled that some of these teachings are creeping even into our own church. Hence, we spend time correcting wrong teachings that are becoming popular in our society. And this speaks to our calling as bishops to guard the faith and maintain the unity and discipline of the church. The bishop is a chief pastor of his diocese. Apart from leading in worship, we have a responsibility to discern the needs of our people and fashion out a way to address them, both spiritually and physically. We encourage our pastors and church workers who are closest to the people through prayers and teaching. For instance, I gather my clergy and church workers for special teaching and study on various subjects every three months to enable them minister to the needs of the people. And as a diocese, we pray and fast every first Monday of the month. This is apart from individual or parish prayer and fasting to enable spiritual growth and development. And four times in a year, we come together in a prayer vigil from about 10 p.m. at night to about 3 a.m. in the morning, praying and ministering to people's needs and bringing the needs of the world to God in prayer. We always look forward to such gatherings in our cathedral. Now, the job of a bishop here also involves administration. The administration of the diocese is a huge task that we constantly depend on the Holy Spirit to help us. Finding money for the various tasks and roles that we play is a major task. We have to pay our staff and clergy all over the diocese. So this calls for various initiatives to be able to raise funds to run the diocese. And we continue to look for support from individuals and groups who can contribute and assist us financially to fulfill the mission of the diocese. And here for us to say that the bishop is not only a preacher and teacher, but also a manager of funds and resources. And this is very important as a kind of dimension that the Episcopal ministry in Nigeria and certainly in Africa today cannot afford to ignore. The bishop is also a community leader and we are involved not only in praying for the communities in the diocese and offering counsel and support to the leadership, but we are often asked to intervene in times of crisis and misunderstanding 
as a means of alternative dispute resolution in cases that would ordinarily have gone to the law courts. Sometimes, local chieftaincy disputes that could last a long time could be resolved by the church, especially by the bishop, when many of our key players are members of our church. Let me talk briefly on evangelism and outreach in villages for church planting as a very important part of the ministry of the bishop in the, in the African context and certainly in Nigeria today. And we take it from time to time that apart from the many pastoral and social activities that do distract us, we are committed to leading our church, leading the diocese, leading our evangelical teams, to reaching out to people in villages from time to time. And when we are unable to be physically present, to be there and we support them in so many ways, especially with our prayers and teaching. And for us in our diocese, this year we have declared as a year of divine proclamation. That is a year where we are committed to proclaiming the gospel of Christ and that way God also proclaims us as his own people. And the anchor for our diocese is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So indeed, episcopacy in Africa today, especially in Nigeria, is a huge calling and we trust God to constantly sustain us with the power of his Holy Spirit as we continue to work. Because of our own might, we are unable to do it. But we thank God that he has called us, and we are confident that he who has called us will be there for us. The Episcopacy is called to lead the diocese in serving God and in being God's vessels in the world. This is Episcopacy in Africa and in Nigeria in particular. May God help us to constantly do this faithfully. Especially, I pray that over this Lenten season, that the Lord will renew us and our ministry, our various dioceses all over Africa and indeed all over the world, and that the Anglican Church shall continue to be the voice of God in the midst of the wilderness of the world. Again, it's a great delight for me to be able to share some thoughts, and I want to thank God for the church society and for the opportunity to be able to do this. May God bless his church and bless us as we continue to serve for him. My name is Stephen Ayodeji Fabrimi, the Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Fungo. God bless you. Many thanks to Bishop Stephen. Finally, I'd like to introduce you to Bishop Julian Dobbs, Julian was born in New Zealand and he planted three congregations there before becoming executive director of the Barnabas Fund, promoting awareness of the persecution of Christians around the world. He now lives in Washington, D.C. and is a citizen of the United States of America, where he is the bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, a jurisdiction of the Anglican Church in North America. Hello, I'm Julian Dobbs, the Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, which is a diocese 
of the Anglican Church in North America. And I'm thrilled and thankful to Dr. Gatiss and the Church Society to have this opportunity to talk to you a little about uh, episcopacy, especially episcopacy in North America. Uh, as you might tell from my uh, accent, I didn't grow up in North America, so my model of the episcopacy came from my years of ordained ministry as an Anglican minister in New Zealand, where I came from. However, I'm now in the 11th year of my episcopacy, having been uh, ordained and consecrated a bishop of the Anglican Church of North America uh, by the Church of Nigeria Anglican Communion. And I want to talk to you a little bit about how I worked that out in the context here in North America. And I thought the best way of doing that was by going to uh, the Book of Common Prayer and looking at the consecration service for the bishop and thinking about some of those promises that are made by bishops in that service and how we work that out here in North America. And so I'm reading from a version of the Book of Common Prayer 1662 where a bishop comes before the archbishop and the archbishop says, for as much as the Holy Scripture and the ancient canons command that we should not be hasty in the laying on of hands and admitting any person to government in the church of God, which he had purchased with no less price than the effusion of his own blood, before I admit you to the administration I will examine you. And this is so very important, isn't it? Because we're not talking about our church. We're first and foremost talking about the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he purchased with his own blood. That's why this is so very serious when we set aside someone to serve as a bishop amongst us in the church. And here's the first question that the archbishop asks. And it's a very, very important one. I find it one of the most important questions I ask in any ordination service. Are you persuaded that you are truly called to this ministration according to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ and the order of the church? And the bishop or the priest or deacon responds, I am so persuaded, the Lord be my helper, or words to that effect. I believe this to be so crucial. In fact, one of, if not the most important question uh, in the ordination service, because if we don't believe that God is calling us to these ministrations, we have no right to serve in them. And that's why this is so terribly important. Think of Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament, serving all those years, all the bulwarks that he established broken down, all his works gone. Why was he faithful? Because in those early verses in Jeremiah chapter 1, he believed that God had called him. So I serve as a bishop in the Anglican Church in North America because I believe that God has called me into this office for such a time as this. It's not so much about me as it is about him and my response to his call. But here's the second thing the archbishop asks in that service. Are you persuaded that the Holy Scripture contain sufficiently all doctrine required for necessity for eternal salvation through Jesus Christ? And are you determined out of that same Holy Scripture 
to instruct the people committed to your charge. Why is this important? It's so important today because uh, since certainly um, the closing days of the Second World War, there has been, I believe, an erosion of confidence in the Word of God. And we need to regain that. And that's one of my, my most deepest commitments as a bishop to help instruct and enable the church here in North America and beyond to regain their confidence in the Word of God. Somebody said to me recently, asking about a, an issue in society, where should we go for instruction? I said, well, primarily and, and, and foundationally, we must go to the Word of God because therein we find source of truth. What's the next question? Will you faithfully exercise yourself in the same holy scriptures and call upon God by prayer for true understanding of the same so that ye may be able to teach them and exhort them with wholesome doctrine and to withstand and convince the gainsayers? Now, I believe this is a critical ministry of the bishop. I certainly make it a fundamental ministry of my own to teach the scriptures. Of course, in many contexts, that's what we say the, the bishop's cathedral represents, doesn't it? It represents, in many respects, a seat of teaching, to teach the scriptures, to ensure that the church is catechized and discipled, uh, to remain steadfast in the faith to which the Lord has called us. And we've seen over generations here in North America that, that bishops haven't been good at doing that in some, in some circumstances. And so I, I consider it a very important my, uh, ministry of mine to teach the scriptures. I do that electronically. I do it in the churches. I teach when our synod and missions conference gathers, as the clergy gather for their annual retreat, we teach the scriptures. It's one of the reasons why our diocese is called the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. Let's look next again about the scriptures. Are you ready with all faithful diligence, listen, to banish and drive away all erroneous doctrine? Over the last 40 years here in North America, uh, portions of the Anglican Church, known as the Episcopal Church, have departed from the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. And I believe primarily they've departed from the faith because bishops have not been willing to uphold the faith. And where they have attempted to uphold the faith, they've been deposed and ejected from the Episcopal Church. Bishops are given a serious responsibility to banish, we are told. That's a very dramatic word, isn't it? To banish and drive away. It gives us a sense of action and determination. And what are we to drive away? All erroneous and strange doctrine. And we notice as we read on, we're not only to do that privately, because sometimes that's easier. We're also to do it publicly. And where there is an erroneous doctrine, we attempt to bring correction. We've done this in the church privately, but we're also called to do it publicly. And I consider that to be a serious ministry uh, entrusted to me and all the bishops of the church. And we've seen firsthand here in North America what happens to the church. She departs from the faith when bishops not only uh, 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 forget and refuse to drive away all erroneous doctrine, but in fact, they go on to embrace it. And that's a tragedy and it's heresy 
and it's not to be tolerated within the church. Two more quick things as we as we look at these things that I want to uh, lay out for you. Uh, bishops are also called to act with discipline. We don't find this easy, do we? Because um, in many respects, as Anglicans, we want to be nice and kind and respectful of one another. And we do want to be those things. But leadership, Episcopal leadership, requires us from time to time to exercise discipline in the church. And the archbishop asks the bishop, will you maintain and set forth as much as you shall uh, as shall lie in you quietness, love, peace among all men and among those who are disquiet, disobedient, and lawless within your diocese? What are you to do? Correct and punish according to the authority ye have in where? In God's word. And there does need to be correction because if a bishop, a leader, is not exercising that serious leadership which God has given them, what happens to the church? She then begins to depart from the faith. Discipline is required. It's necessary. It's also required in our own life because in the preceding question, the archbishop asks about our lifestyle as bishops. We live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have received. That's so important. Uh, Denying all ungodliness and worldly lusts. When I was consecrated bishop, one of my bishop's uh, colleagues wrote in the Bible that was given to me these words from Ephesians chapter uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. May we all lead such a life worthy of the calling, the highest calling to be a servant of all, a servant of Christ. And then finally, I want to share with you one of the most important tasks also of the bishop, of course, and I endeavor to do this here, and I've made it one of the priorities of my episcopacy to lay on hands and ordain the men uh, as presbyters who God is calling uh, uh, to serve in the church in that next generation of leaders. The diocese I serve in uh, um, ordains men only to the presbyterate. And so I'm seeking and praying for the Lord to raise up the next generation of ordained leaders to ensure what? That they're, they're faithfully trained so that they too can teach the scriptures and lead God's people humbly, but faithfully and with dedication. And then that they would uh, enable us um, to, 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 to grow in love for one another by the Spirit of God and to help us to be faithful to that great call of God upon our lives to share the gospel. Of course, there are other things the bishop does, doesn't, aren't there? Uh, uh, reaching and ministering to the least, um, the lost, and the lonely amongst us in our diocese. That's very important. We see this in this prayer of consecration as well. But to ensure that the church uh, remains steadfast in the faith that has been entrusted to us, the next generation of leaders being raised up, not not, um, embracing erroneous doctrine, but in fact driving it far away from the church and doing all of these things. Why? Because we believe that God has called us to do them. So may God raise up uh, amongst us across the Anglican world those whom he is calling to serve him, not only in the Episcopate, 
but in the ministry as deacons and presbyters and faithful lay leaders that we may serve Christ in this world. God bless you.